All right, we're off to a great start this morning. What a wonderful opportunity to worship God and uh, to be in fellowship uh, with one another. You know, some of you may know my story. I grew up somewhat in the church. I became a, a Christian when I was 11 years old, and uh, we very quickly uh, got involved in, 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 in church, and uh, there wasn't a Sunday that went by or a week, midweek that went by that we weren't in the church, and I was, I was blessed by that. And there was always a message, though. There was always a, a consistent theme that would come across, at least this is how I interpreted it growing up, and it was that I needed to act a certain way, I needed to be a certain way, think a certain way, and it was like I needed to kind of check all the dots off of what a good Christian looked like. Now, that probably wasn't coming over the pulpit like that, but in the mind of a young person, and certainly as a teenager, that was kind of how I was interpreting it. Like, I needed to produce something that was worth standing before God, right? And we'd hear about, like, you know, as a Christian, you don't want to sin, you, want to, you don't want to go to certain places, and like the whole list, and I was like... That just wasn't what was going on the inside, you know? And, and so I'd always had this, this roller coaster Christianity where it was like, I would go and do my thing and then I'd hear what I was doing wrong and, I'd, and I would repent. And it was just like this, this miserable experience because I was very frustrated because I thought God was expecting something from me that was just shy of perfection. Anybody ever grow up in an environment like that? You don't need to raise your hands. But, but it got to a point for me where it's kind of like, because I remember hearing the message that would say something like, hey, listen, man, if you're not going to give God 100%, then don't give him anything because God wants either all or nothing. And I was like, you know what? I know I can't give him all. And so I just packed my bags and gave him nothing. And for a, a number of years as a teenager, I walked away from God and um, I bought into a lie, Right? And the consequences of that, honestly, some of which I still pay for up until this day, but, but, but God, by his grace, stepped into my life when I was 19 years old, November 11th, 1989, and I learned something very important that I didn't realize earlier on, that God wasn't looking for me to bring him my perfection. He was just looking for me to bring him me. And that he who began the good work in me, he would complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And it, was, it wasn't like I got sloppy and, and didn't do anything, but I started to realize that what God was inviting me to was a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And I see the things that I was embracing and holding on to was out of love and not out of, of religious rote. You see, I came to the point in my life where I, I was like, you know what, I don't have enough, and so if I don't have enough, I'm going to walk away. And I was, I bought into a lie, but I learned something. I learned that when not enough, I learned that when, when I didn't have enough to bring, that was just what was needed because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because I couldn't bring enough. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't read enough. I couldn't pray enough. I couldn't believe enough. I couldn't give enough. Nothing I was able to produce of, of myself was enough. And the awareness of when not enough is there, that's just what's needed to help me realize my need for Christ in my life. You see, Jesus didn't come, the Holy Spirit is not looking to, uh, to perform behavior modification in our lives, but transformation. And so I learned when not enough 
is just what's needed. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a scene in the ministry of Jesus that I think highlights some of this truth that I pray will encourage you this morning and uh, remind you that Christ came because we could not produce that which was necessary in and of ourselves to gain acceptance from God. I'm going to take a familiar passage of Scripture. If you, if you have your Bibles with you, let's uh, turn together to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to pick up at verse 13. We're going to see something about the heart of our Lord that I pray will encourage each and every one of you this morning. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13 Matthew records, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You, speaking to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they replied, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them to me. He then ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. What an incredible miracle that we see take place at the hands of Jesus with his disciples in the midst of a, of a huge crowd of people. Matthew records there's 5,000 men there, not including women and children. So conservatively, 15,000 people were likely in attendance or more that day. And there's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture that I, I want to highlight to you today that has to do with a lot more than Jesus simply multiplying the loaves and the fish. You know, Jesus was a masterful teacher. He would use every opportunity to model and shape the heart of his disciples. He would do this by the way in which he, he prioritized people. By the way, he would prioritize his mission, the reason for which he came. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at this, this familiar story, and we're going to take a deeper dive into seeing the, the heart of Jesus with the hopes that what we see in Jesus would be reflected in our lives as well, because that's what Christians do, right? We want to be like Jesus in the world around us, and we have a beautiful picture of what Jesus and how Jesus responds to a crowd. Let's take a look at how this section opens up. It says in verse 13, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by, a desolate place by himself. Obviously, if we want to get the full context of all that's going on, it's probably pretty important to know just what did Jesus hear. 
right? It must have been pretty significant, so, so much so that when Jesus saw a crowd having heard something, instead of being with the crowd, which is oftentimes where Jesus was, he withdrew and wanted to be by himself. And so when we read a passage that kind of opens up like that, just a little Bible study um, tip, this is kind of like akin to when you see the word therefore, you find out what it's there for, right? And so when it says that Jesus, when Jesus heard this, let's find out just what it was that Jesus heard because obviously it was pretty significant. In fact, it was. What did Jesus hear? Well, the opening of this chapter explains to us exactly what Jesus heard, and it's the retelling of the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a preacher of, of righteousness. He was the, the last of the, of the Old Testament prophets. He was the one that was a, a forerunner, the one that was prophesied as being a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In addition to that, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. They were family. They had been in, in, in community together. There was relationship that was there. And John the Baptist didn't just die, but John the Baptist had a horrible death. John the Baptist had, had, had called out the sin of King Herod, who was sleeping with his brother's wife, Herodias. And people don't like to be called out on their sin, especially when you're a king. And so Herodias reaches out through her daughter and gets to the king and says, listen, here's what I want you to do for me. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's pretty gross, isn't it? I mean, talk about like the decadence of somebody's heart. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Matthew records exactly what happens in that, in that passage. Look at verse 10, it says, and he had, he, um, verse 10, he says, he sent, and this is speaking of King Herod, he sent and had John, John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. I mean, I would think that she would have been needing some counseling after that. That's pretty, that's pretty nasty, right? And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and they took what was left. They took the body of John and they buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. They told him what? They told him exactly what happened. And when Jesus heard it, he withdrew to a deserted place to be alone. Context is really important when we're reading through the scriptures, isn't it? What we see here is the, the humanity of Christ in this, this occurrence. He is grieving over his cousin. He is disgusted over hearing the events of what just took place, this, uh, the, the head of his cousin placed on a platter. And he just, he just wants to be alone. I get that. I can relate with that, can't you? I mean, Je Jesus has the right to grieve. Jesus has the right to be, to be sad. Jesus has a right to take a moment of pause and, and process and, and grieve the events that just took place. But notice what happens. 
in the midst of his pain, upon just hearing about what took place in, in the midst of his grieving, in the midst of his desire to, to pull away and just to be alone and process, he sees something. In fact, he sees something that changes his plans. He saw something that, that got his focus off of what he needed and redirected it towards the needs of other people. What an incredible picture of the heart of Jesus. Verse 13 says, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But look, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I said, come on, really? Would you give him a break? I mean, like here he is trying to get away from everybody. They don't care. Uh, clearly the word has gotten out what taken, had taken place with John the Baptist. Everybody knew the relationship that was there. And there is Jesus, rightly so, looking to get alone, to grieve, to process what's going on. And it says, and when they saw him, they didn't care so much about what Jesus needed. They cared about what they wanted. And they followed on foot from the towns. When he went, to ashore, went, to, went ashore, he saw the great crowd. And it says he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. We see three things that are incredibly important that are worth pointing out this morning. That in the midst of Jesus rightly deserving to be alone and to grieve, we see that Jesus saw the crowd I'm not just talking about the fact that he, he visually saw what was going on. It was much more than just a, a visual picture of what was taking place here. But Jesus saw people. Jesus saw the crowd. Have you ever noticed in your own life that you can see people, but not really see people? One of the reasons I love to go to the back door as people are exiting is it gives me an opportunity to, to see people connect. Because sometimes we get so busy, we tend to see through people or see past people, right? We can miss that there's a person, right? There's a physical being in front of us, but sometimes we can miss the people. Jesus didn't just see a crowd. Jesus saw people. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of it where it just seemed like people were talking to you. They just didn't see you. They didn't, they didn't get you. They didn't know who you were on the inside. What I love about Jesus is, is his incredible ability to see people. He was never too busy. He was never too distracted, even in his own pain and his own grieving to see people. Because you see, Jesus sees what nobody else sees. What I love about Jesus is he slows down enough to see the crowd. And can I just tell you this morning, Jesus sees you today not just where you're sitting, not just where you have blown it, not just where you're worried or anxious or fearful. Not that he sees you. 
his son, his daughter, whom he died for, whom he loves, who he's committed to bringing you from where you are to where God's going to bring you. He sees you. That's why Christianity is not just a religion of disconnected ideology, but is a relationship, creator and creation. He knows our frame, the psalmist says. He knows us. What I love about this is while it's certainly, it's certainly important to take time and for ourselves and grieve at times and to process things, we see that Jesus sets the example of placing others before ourselves. Now we need to be careful that we, we balance all that out, right, in, in, in the reality of there are some times you can't just be giving and giving and giving and not taking a pause and, 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 and processing and having your own batteries charged. That's another whole sermon for another day. But what Jesus models for us here is that his eyes were on other people. And here's the thing, we can only be for others when we're emotionally and spiritually healthy ourselves. And sometimes we need to pull away ourselves, just like we see Jesus routinely had done throughout his ministry. But this time, he sees the crowd and he pulls back. We live in a very self-absorbed, self-centered, selfie kind of a world, don't we? I caught, I don't remember who it was, but I saw, I caught one of our teenagers didn't know I was looking and she's I see her posing and lips are out and I and I said and she saw I looked and she said oh I said I caught you I know just about you're a selfie right you know sadly we could be so consumed with looking at ourselves that we could fail to see people I've learned that the best way to work through depression and anxiety, and hey, I know what it is to be depressed. I know what it is to be anxious. I know what it is to be distracted. I've learned that the best way for me to, to work through that is to get my eyes on serving and blessing other people. Because I've learned that the more I focus on how I'm feeling and what's not coming to me and what should come to me, the more I focus on that, it seems the worse it gets. Have you ever noticed that? Am I the only one in the room? The best way to push through that is to start focusing on being a blessing to other people. And you know what? It just changes our perspective. And what we see so beautiful in the ministry of Jesus here, he has every right to pull away, to process, to grieve, to get alone, but he sees the crowd. It says he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. I like that. It says Jesus saw the crowd, and, and, and Jesus doesn't do what so many of us might have done. He doesn't look away. Have you, have, you, have you done that? You see the crowd, you think, oh no, not today, man, not today. Let me just, right? You're in the grocery store, nope, not today. Oh, I wish we were back in mask season, right? It's like, you know, sometimes we tend to want to walk away sometimes. Not Jesus. Jesus doesn't look away. Jesus looks even closer. He sees the crowd. He doesn't look away. He looks deeper. And he says he is moved with compassion. He doesn't see past them. He sees in them. And he sees their needs. 
This idea of being moved with compassion speaks of a, of a deep, physical, emotional response on the inside that goes beyond intellectual, intellectual awareness or some theory that we just picked up in a book or, or some seminar somewhere. It demonstrates the heart of God for a lost and dying humanity. He was moved with compassion. How about you? Give compassion for lost people. The story is told of the great preacher D.L. Moody who was used by God in the mid-1800s to bring thousands of people to Christ. And there was one time in his ministry where he's preaching in the streets of London, in the city of London, and, and they'd experienced more conversions than they had experienced in years. And one day, the, the preachers in town got Moody alone to, to, to themselves, and, and there they are in a high-rise building, and they, they said to Moody, Mr. Moody, we, we've seen more people come to Christ in these last couple of weeks than we have seen in all the years of our ministry. What's the secret? And he gathered those pastors, and he walked them over to the window that overlooked the busy city streets of London. And he said, look down, what do you see? And they see, well, we, we see busy, crowded streets. And he said, look a little closer. What do you see? And they said, well, we see men and women running back to and fro and on, their, on, their, uh, you know, on a path to get somewhere. And he said, look a little closer. What do you see? And they said, well, we see younger and older and we see grandmas and grandpas. We see moms and dads. We see people pushing strollers. We see kids playing in the streets. And they kept throwing out every possible scenario until they exhausted everything that they saw. And they said to him, Mr. Moody, what do you see? And as Moody looked over the streets of that busy London town, and as tears were streaming down his face, he said, I see lost souls heading into eternity lost that the blood of Jesus was shed for. You see, the secret to really reaching people is having a heart of compassion, a heart that realizes that apart from Christ, every person is on their way to hell. There is no other way what do you see, Integrity Church? Do you see the, the lostness of people without Jesus? Sometimes we get so busy, we get so distracted, we, we're always checking the boxes and, and filling our calendars, and we fail to realize that we might have just bumped into 20 people who are on their way to hell. I think the church needs a better working theology on hell today. This place that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Because I believe if the church really believed everything that the scriptures teach about hell, if we really believed the words of Jesus, where for every one time he spoke about heaven, he spoke about hell 25 more times. He said that the road to heaven is very narrow and very few will enter it, but the road to hell is very broad and many will enter it. 
If we really believed that, we would prioritize bringing the truth of the message of the gospel to those that we love, those that we bump into, those that we work with, those that we're around. And I think that we tend to lose our belief in this theology that the scripture is so clear about. You know, a great metric of how much of the heart of God that we have, a great metric can be seen is what in, in, in determining what is our heart for other people. Do we care about someone who's lost? What do you do about that? How do we respond to that? Because I, I, I know I'm speaking to people who are saying, I want that. I want to grow in my passion for lost people and my, 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 my compassion for the lost. How do I do that? Here's how we do it. We get so close to the heart of Jesus that the heart of Jesus overflows in our life and we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for lost people. We stop being so appalled by their sin and judging their sin and realize that sinners sin and they're in need, they're in need of a savior. And we're just willing like Jesus, to put what we need aside to see the crowd. Oh, that we would join together in, as one voice, asking God to move upon our hearts with greater compassion for the lost. Not so the church can grow, but so that the kingdom of God would be filled with lost people who have found Christ. Jesus modeled that through his pain, God's heart for lost people. Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus was, was moved with compassion. And he says that Jesus healed their sick. He met their need. He met them right where they were at. And now, I love this, now he's going to give them, the disciples, an opportunity to share in meeting their needs as well. Here comes the miraculous. Watch this, this in verse 15. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Hey, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. Stop and shop is closed. Costco is closed. Sam's Club is closed. Everything's, there's nothing. We cannot get, you know, Uber Eats. I mean, there's no possible way. It's late. It's long day. There's no way we could possibly feed them. Jesus, you should send the crowds away because they're getting hungry so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. I love this. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I'm sure, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly in the area, a wall, I don't know where it was, but here's the disciples. You could look at them going, who, us? Where do you want us to go? And I'm sure in the back of their minds, they're thinking he's about to do something, Right? They kind of knew they were getting set up for Jesus to do something extraordinary in their lives. Jesus is bringing them into the process of meeting the needs of people. He says, you give them something to eat. Up until this point, it had been all Jesus, right? It had been Jesus who sees the crowd. It's Jesus who's having compassion. It's Jesus who's healing their sick. But now he invites them into the story. 
He invites them into the extraordinary. And what they begin to do is they realize, hey, this is really good that's going on here, but let's get practical, Jesus. They need to eat. Perhaps they needed to eat, I don't know. They said to him, so Jesus says, you, you give them something to eat. I love what, that, what we see take place here. Jesus says, you give them something to eat, and the first thing they do is they explain to him why that can't be done. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they had walked with Jesus. They had just seen people healed, right, by the thousands, right? And now Jesus says, you give them something to eat, and the first thing they do is let me highlight to you our limitations. <laughs> Jesus, we only have here two fish and five loaves. And Jesus says, great, bring them here and give them to me. We only have. In other words, we don't have what's needed, Jesus. We're insufficient. We're unable. We're ill-equipped. We're, we're under-resourced. Jesus, what we bring to the table just isn't enough. Have you ever felt like that? Where you feel like God wants you to do something? Where you feel like he wants you to step out? And you say, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't know, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know, I can't pray as good as so-and-so. I can't. The first thing we realize when God says, you do this, we become very aware of our limitations. It's exactly what they did. Perhaps you're hearing the message this morning and you're saying, yeah, I get this whole idea of us needing to go out and reach lost people. And that sounds really good, pastor. I'm so glad we're paying you to do that. But seriously, though, I know there's a bunch of you who are saying, I want to do that. I need to do that. I know the scripture calls to do that. But you got to understand, Pastor, I don't feel like what I have to bring is enough. I've only got two fish and five loaves. The title of my message this morning is this, When Not Enough is Just What's Needed. When not enough is just what's needed. Notice what Jesus says to them. Bring them to me. Give me what you have. You see, the disciples are about to learn something that is so important for every one of us to learn as well. That our limitations placed in the hands of Jesus is always enough. That's what the disciples learned that day. It wasn't about filling the people's bellies. It was about filling their faith, helping them to realize that what you think isn't enough through the hands of Jesus can meet the multitude's needs. You give me what you have and I'll give you what you need. And that's what they experienced. Don't limit what God can do through you. Sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give. Who am I? What can I do? I, I, I only have a couple of loaves and, and a couple of fish. I, I really don't bring much. I don't have much ability. Can I tell you, God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. 
He's looking for you to be willing to be used by him because listen, God's extraordinary always takes place in the arena and in the presence of the ordinary. The problem is when we think we're extraordinary, God can't use us. We get in the way. And that's why I said before, it's, it, the, the reality of it is when not enough is just what's needed. The person who thinks I got enough, they don't have nearly what they think they need. And they'll never be able to be used by God to the degree that God can work in them and through them. The reality is, listen, church, God wants your five loaves and two fish. Not because he needs them, but because you need to see the power of giving what you have to God and what God will do when you place it in his hands. Because when you do that, he will feed the multitude. And by the way, he's going to allow you to be a part of the miracle. He said, you feed them. Can I tell you, there is no greater joy than being a partner with God and seeing the lives of people changed. We bring nothing to the table in and of ourselves, but if we're just willing to be used by God to be able to step into somebody's life and see them connect with God, that's the most beautiful of things. That's why our mission statement is to inspire people to, to passionately follow Jesus. We want to see people connect with God because it's such an incredible, incredible change of life for a person when they connect with God. And we have an opportunity, an invitation to partner with him as co-laborers in Christ to see that become a reality. Look at verse 18. He says, look, he said, they tell him, what he here's our limitations. And he says, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and look, gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. I love that. Jesus performs a miracle. He gives them to the disciples and then the disciples bring them to the crowd. That's what we do, church. That's what we do. We take that which we have received from Christ. Freely we have received, freely we are to give. We take that which we have received from Christ and we bring it to the crowd. That's what the church is called to do. I have got nothing in and of myself to bring anybody that's gonna make any change in their lives apart from Christ. And as I take that which he has given to me, and I'm willing to share it with the crowd, we start to see the extraordinary happen. Not because of us, despite us. The Holy Spirit works in the midst, in the midst of us, and we see the extraordinary take place. Well, someone says, well, at least not out loud, but someone may say, well, what about my needs? What about me? That's the beautiful thing. When we care for the needs of others, when we focus on the needs of others, Jesus takes care of our needs. That's exactly what we see taking place here. Look at verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
I said earlier, I, 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 I wonder, I don't want to look into the text, um, but, but I wonder if what was driving the disciples, um, uh, a suggestion to drive the crowds away was the fact that they only had a couple of fish and a couple of loaves and they were hungry. But look what it says here. And they all ate and were satisfied. Ready? Look. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. I love that. 12 baskets. You've got 12 disciples who were clearly letting Jesus know we don't have enough to meet the need. And Jesus was like, let me just show you how much we've got. After they fed everybody, everybody was satisfied. You know what that tells me? Nobody just had one serving because who's satisfied after one serving? Come on. Right? It says everybody had all they wanted and they were satisfied. And then after these doubting disciples were given a basket each, a visible reminder of what God can do if we just give him our limitations. Incredible. What's the lesson, church? God invites each and every one of us to bring our two fish and our five loaves. What, is that, what, is that, what does that come out to be? It's our time. It's our talents. It's our, it's our treasure. It's the things that, that seem to um, uh, take us away from the prioritization of the kingdom. It's the things that have been entrusted into our care by God. And we take that which God's given to us and we trust God to do exceedingly abundantly above. And see, when we take what we have, and again, you might be like, hey, it's only two fish. Some might have a sardine. Some might have a striped bass. But when you're facing 15,000 people, neither one of those are enough. And you know, sometimes we need to stop putting, listen, Stop putting limits on what you can do. The king of the universe, the creator of all things, is your God, and he loves you. And he says, take a step of faith and believe that I could do the extraordinary through you. Our inadequacies become the necessary ingredient for God's extraordinary provision. Our inadequacies become the necessary ingredient for God's extraordinary provision. He couldn't work with the Pharisees because the Pharisees thought they had their acts together. And so he had to hang out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the broken who realized they needed a savior. It's our inadequacies, and when our, our inadequacies become the necessary ingredient for God's extraordinary provision. And so the, the question that begs to be answered is what areas do you feel inadequate about today? What dream do you have about your tomorrow that today's resources makes you feel extremely inadequate? And I'm not talking about money, right? Money, money might put something in your driveway. It's not going to put something in your heart. Maybe you're looking at your two fish and five loaves and you're saying, I can't possibly navigate through life with just this. I'm so limited. 
How can I possibly have healthy relationships when I have all history of broken relationships and disappointments? I've got two fish and, and, and some moldy bread. I've got nothing to offer. And Jesus says, you bring him to me. You give me what you have. I'll give you what you need. How could I possibly parent in today's changing world? I don't know how to be the right kind of a husband. I don't know how to be the right kind of a wife or, or a grandparent or, or a Christian influence or, or whatever. You fill in the blank. We all know those areas that we hope one day doesn't get exposed in public. Our insecurities, our inadequacies. Instead of hiding them, Jesus is like, give them to me. Give me what you have and I'll give you what you need. You give Jesus what you have and he'll give you what you need emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, but most of all, because all of those things are temporary here on this earth. Ultimately, what God will give you is a relationship with the Savior, one that will last for all of eternity, peace and hope in the God of the universe. Not enough is just what's needed for us to see God at work in our ordinary lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even in, this, that in the same way that Jesus, you saw the crowd and were moved with compassion, at one time in our lives, you saw us and you drew us to yourself and you called us your own. And Lord, thank you that because of Christ, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I pray, Lord, that we as your people would, would see two things, that we'd see the mission that you've entrusted into our care as very doable as we give to you our two fish, our five loaves, and you give us what we need to reach this community for Jesus. But Lord, sometimes we don't do that because we're so aware of our own limitations. And Lord, I pray that you would do what I can never accomplish myself using my words. That Holy Spirit, that you would do in the hearts of each and every person, that you would sprout hope in the hearts of each person to do what they can never do before as they trust in you. We pray you do that work. We thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for this time together, for your presence that's here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This closing song we're about to end with is taken out of Jeremiah's story in Jeremiah chapter 1. We see a young man who is intimately acquainted with his inadequacies. And when called by God to do the extraordinary, God teaches him that if he'll put his trust in God and his faith in God, God can do the extraordinary through a very ordinary Jeremiah. Let's stand together as we go to our, our closing song.